Hey everyone, Jeremiah here from Zion Ministries. Welcome to the podcast series, Unto the Nations. I want to encourage you though, to open your hearts up to God, clear your mind of everything going on in your life, and come expecting to hear from God today. I know that He has something that He wants to say to you on a personal level. Jesus said, those that have ears, let them hear. So with no further delay, we're going to open with a word of prayer, and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to minister to your children, Father God, to be able to minister to you, the hearers, Lord God, of this podcast. I pray, Father God, that the words of life, the words of encouragement, the words of love, the words of hope, the words of healing, the words of deliverance, the words of freedom would be spoken to every heart, to every mind, to every soul that listens, Lord God. I pray, Father God, that the power of your grace and the power of your anointing would move, Lord God, through this podcast to touch lives, to change lives, to free lives. Father, I yield my vessel unto you, and I give you full opportunity to speak to your people through me, Father God. Let your words be on my tongue. Let them be seasoned with grace. Let them edify the hearers. Let them be as golden apples in silver pitchers. Let them encourage, Father God. Let them exhort. And Father, I pray when it is all said, that your name be glorified, that you be exalted, that you be lifted on high, that all praise, all honor, and all glory be given to you in all things. For you are worthy in you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start this teaching series in Exodus, but before I start, I want to give a backdrop of what's currently taking place at this time. The children of Israel are in captivity. The Egyptians, they're abusing, they're oppressing, they're mistreating God's chosen people. And God has summoned Moses, talked to him out of the burning bush, called him forth, and is about to send Moses on a journey, on a mission to deliver God's people from the oppressor, to deliver them from captivity, to deliver them from bondage, to bring them into the land flowing with milk and honey, to fulfill the promise of what he had spoken to Abraham long ago. So if you go to Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, we find Moses and God having a conversation, and this is what it says. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say unto me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am have sent me unto you. This is a powerful revelation of who God is because it's a very prophetic name. It's a name that addresses every situation that will arise in the children of Israel's journey out of captivity. And We all know that the captivity of Israel in Egypt is symbolic to us being captive of sin. But the reality of that name that he gave Moses to take unto the children of Israel, 
the power that is in that name is what I really want to expound on tonight. God knew that the children of Israel were going to have questions in their hearts and in their minds when they were coming out of captivity, when they were being delivered, when this man came unto them, telling them that I've came by the hand of God to set you free, to deliver you, to take you somewhere else, an unfamiliar place. He knew that they were going to have questions about who this God was. Questions as is, is he a deliverer? God gave him a simple answer. I am. Is he a healer? God gave the same simple answer. I am. Is he a provider? Same answer. I am. Is he faithful? I am. Is he loving? I am. Is he trustworthy? I am. Is he able? I am. See, God knew that they needed a name that they could believe in that would meet every circumstance, every situation that would arise in them transferring from captivity to the wilderness and from the wilderness to the promised land and from the promised land on throughout time and generations all the way up to this present age and day of where we're at right now. God was speaking to all of us that he is. Problem is, is do we really believe that he is? Do we really know God in such a way, in such a personal one-on-one experience that we know that God is a deliverer, that we know that God is a healer, that we know that God is a provider, that we know that God is love, that God is joy, that God is peace, that God is light, that God is hope, that God is encouragement, that God is your friend, that God is always with you, that God is omnipresent, that God cares about everything that's going on in your life. Do we understand this really? Do we do we really have a grasp on the reality of who God is in our own personal life or are we got this mother's image of God or grandmother's image of God or dad's image of God? or, you know, someone else's image of God, the pastor's image of God. But do we know on a personal level that God is to me, to myself, everything that I need, that he is, I am. He is, I am that I am in everything in life, no matter what it is that we face or we come up to. We need to know that God is the answer to that situation, that God is the solution to the problem, that God is the hope, that God is the faith, that God is the love, that God is the answer. Because if you don't know that God is, you'll turn to something else to be that. You'll try to fill a spiritual void with a natural thing, with a substitute. See, the thing about a substitute is, is a substitute isn't an original. It might look like it. It might taste like it. Might smell like it. Might sound like it. But it isn't it. And what happens is when we choose to try to replace spiritual things with substitutes, it's never fulfilling. It just don't taste right. It don't set right. It doesn't have the same satisfaction, the same fulfillment. Because any time that we try to take the place that God's supposed to be in our life and put something else there, it's never going to work. It's never going to be fulfilling. It's never going to do what it is that we need it to do. It's not even going to give the same end result because it's not I am. It's a I might be or I possibly could be. But it's not a confident I am. It's not 
the I am. So when you look at the children of Israel at where they were, they had been oppressed for years in slavery, bound. Yes, they had provisions, they had food, they had water, they had shelter. They were in a place of comfort. And here was a guy coming to deliver them by the hand of God out of that place of comfort. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever left something that you're comfortable with, if you've ever left a place that you've been comfortable in, you're going to need some assurance about where you're going. And nothing could bring more assurance to the children of Israel about where they were going than I am. I am that I am. Because while they had it bad, they still had food on the table. They still had water to drink. They still had a place to sleep. Conditions weren't the best in the world. It wasn't the most fulfilling. It wasn't their ideal place of where they were supposed to be as the chosen people of God, as the seed of Abraham. This wasn't where they had imagined that they would end up. But in this place that they were at, they did have some bare necessities to sustain life. And now you want them to leave this, flee with no army, head into a wilderness with no provision. They needed to know he was. And we'll find out that in life, as we begin to journey out of captivity ourselves, as we begin to come out of sin, as we begin to come out of our flesh, as we begin to come out of the things in life that have us bound and trapped and encaged, as we begin to step out of our comfort zones, as we begin to leave the places that are familiar to search for that place that God has for us, we're going to need to know that He is. Everything that we're going to need for that journey and for that path. Because if for one second we falter, for one second we doubt, then we'll be just like the children of Israel, murmuring and complaining in the wilderness. Even though God had just parted a Red Sea, brought water from a rock, rained bread from heaven, led them by a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. Spoke to him from the mountain after his glory descended upon it and it shook him with fear. They still were questioning, is he, I am. And they found themselves journeying in that wilderness for 40 years. Some of us find ourselves in that same position and place because we haven't grabbed hold of the reality that God is, that God is able. It was never God's intention for you to struggle. With the things that you struggle with. God didn't design you to be sick. God didn't design you to be oppressed. God didn't design you to be possessed. God didn't design you to be starving. God didn't design you to be without. That's not the gospel. That's not Jesus. That's not the cross. That's not the fulfillment of what Christ himself came to do. See, God's intention was that you rule and reign in this earth. He spoke it to Adam in the very beginning. See this day I have given you dominion and power to rule and subdue all the earth. God's perfect intention was for you to be a royal bloodline and an heir. But we settle for things in life less than God's best because we don't believe that he is. He might be saying, Well, I believe that God is the provider, even though I struggle with bills. Okay, but do you believe he loves you enough that you don't have to struggle? 
because you can believe that he's a provider to meet your bare necessity needs, but do you think that he cares about the very things in life that matter to you that isn't just a bare necessity need? Take, for instance, this situation here. Any of you have kids, do you want your children just to have the bare necessities? Or when they want something that's important to them or matters to them, does it not move you with compassion to want to do everything to try to provide that into their life? Now, if you have that same compassion in you, that same desire to want to do good for your own children and to give them more in life, and your love isn't even in the same caliber as God's love for you, How much more do you think that God wants to do those things for you? Do you want to see your child sick? Do you want to see them coughing or throwing up or have some disease or terminal illness or or cancer or any of that stuff? Would you not do anything in the world to take it away from them? Once again, your love isn't on the same degree as God's is. If his is so much higher and greater, how much more does he want to do that in your life? But it takes believing that he is. See, that's the biggest trick of the enemy. That's the that's the biggest play that the enemy tries to put on the minds of the believers. He doesn't care if you believe there's a God. He cares if you believe that that God is able because just because you believe a God, you might stay in captivity. You might stay in Egypt. You might stay bound because it's comfortable. You do have bare necessities to be able to sustain life. It's not the best circumstances in the best condition. It's not the way that I actually want to be. I really don't want to be sick. I really don't want to be broke. I really don't want to be oppressed by the enemy and these thoughts, or I really don't want to have all these things going on in my life that doesn't just seem right, that I don't have joy or that I'm depressed or that I got anxiety or that I'm on medication or that I'm needing counseling. It's not the best circumstances, but it's familiar. So I'll stay in it. And see, the children of Israel could have chose that too. But if you look back into the scriptures and you look at when they begin to leave, They left with all the plunder of Egypt. They took it with them. Coming out of captivity, guess what? They came with stuff, things, things that you wouldn't even need in a wilderness. I mean, what good's gold in the wilderness? What good's silver in the wilderness? You know, some tents are nice. Some food would be great. But God let them leave with the riches and the spoils. Because they are chosen people. They're sons and daughters of the most high living God, which makes them a royal bloodline, which is the same for you and same true in your life. The Bible says that we're heirs and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. You're a royal bloodline. But if the enemy can get you to accept that you are less than what you are, then you won't believe that God is. And that's the ultimate deception that he can put into your mind and into your life. Get you to doubt that God is able. Matter of fact, get you to doubt that God is willing. Because you might believe that he's able and not believe that he's willing. See, the father's heart is always reaching out, always pulling towards you, always extending out to you, always covering you. Because God is love. And love is always seeking the best for the other person. Love is always sacrificing. Love is always thinking about 
the other person always you might say, well, I, I, I don't know about that. Well, look at the cross. Look at Jesus ministry. Everything that he did, he put everyone else first to the point that he bore the ultimate shame and death just so we didn't have to. The beatings that should have been ours, he took them. The whippings that should have been ours, he took them. The humiliation and the shame that should have been ours, he took it. The disrespect, abuse, the pure suffering, he took it all the way to the death that was rightfully ours. He took it. See, love always wants to take the bad away from your life and give you something better. Love wants to ensure that your life turns out better by me taking it on everything that's not good. But we'll accept the bad in our life when there's a loving God that's saying, hey, 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 give that to me. Give that to me. That's mine. Let me have it. Let me have it. I can fix that. I am the one that can heal that. I am the one that can deliver you from that. I am the one that can free you from that. I am the one that can provide that. I am the one that loves you. I am the one that wants you to have joy. I am your peace. I am your hope. I am your future. I am your refuge. I am your strong tower. I am everything and all things that you need always in your life. I am. But we'll hold on to it because we don't believe that he is. And when you look at it and you journey back and you think about it, it makes you wonder how much does that break God's heart? How bad does that pull and hurt and tug at the strings of God's heart and just break them? How many tears does roll down his face because of everything you're going through that you don't have to go through? Because he's able, he can, he will. Why would we want to accept it? It would be like us trying to help our very own children and them denying our help, choosing to accept something that was way worse in their life when we had it in our power and our ability to free them from it. How would it make you feel? How would it pull at the strings of your heart to see your own child suffer knowing that you have the ability to take it away from them, the ability to free them from that? It's the same way that God feels. See, the problem is, is a lot of times we don't think we're good enough to have God's love, worthy enough to have God do something for us. We didn't live exactly perfect today, so we don't have the confidence to come to God and ask him and to believe him to do something for us because we first have to do something, you know, and and, and get all these things right before God is willing to uh, move in our life and, and meet our need. But that isn't how God works. The Bible says that he loved us first before we ever loved him. He loved us when we were in our sin. He loved us when we didn't care about him. We, he loved us when we wouldn't talk to him. He loved us when we ran from him. He loved us when we lived for ourselves and we were selfish. He loved us when we didn't care about no one or nothing. He loved us. He loved us first. It wasn't by our works that we got saved. It was by our faith. Because if works could have made you righteous to enter the kingdom of heaven, to be restored back unto God, then he wouldn't have had to send his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross to die for your sins because your works would have been good enough, but works was not good enough. And that's why his son came so that you could have grace. And it's through grace by faith that you're saved. 
It's by faith that you receive from God, not by what you do, not by the work that you've done, not because you didn't get it all right today. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times and gets back up. Sometimes you're going to mess up. Sometimes you're going to slip. Sometimes you're going to fall. But get up and keep believing that God is able. Everything that we were supposed to get from God depended on how perfect of a life that we lived. Then we wouldn't have anything because we're not capable of living the life that God wanted us to live without him, without his grace, without faith, without Jesus, without his Holy Spirit within us. We can't live the life that God called us to live without him. We have to first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. We have to know in ourselves that God is all in all. And I'm not talking about just things that we need in life. I'm talking about on a true gospel, the real reason that Christ came, the real reason that it was so important to remove sin was so that we could enter back into a relationship, a fellowship, to be able to come to the throne boldly through Christ Jesus, to walk in the cool of the day with God. Just like Adam walked with God in the cool of the day, it was about restoring a relationship and knowing that God is not just a provider, not just a healer, not just a deliverer, not just a savior. But that God's your friend, that he cares about everything that's going on in your life, from the smallest thing to the greatest thing. When you're having trouble with your schoolwork and you can't figure the problem out, you'd run to your mom and dad and ask for help. There's a father standing there waiting. He's always right beside you waiting, waiting to help you with every problem, every question that arises in your life ready to help you with everything that's going on in your life. Whether you have a a question about something at work, need someone to talk to because something's going on in your life, whether you're frustrated about this or you got upset about that or someone's not treating you the way that you thought that they should treat you or someone's broke your heart or you wasn't loved, you know, the way that you thought you should be loved. There's a God that's there waiting to be in every part of your life, yearning and desire, a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. God that loves you so much that he laid down everything for you. You know, we all know the story of the prodigal son that, you know, left and went away and the father was on the porch. And when he seen his son from afar off, he took off running to him wide open. It's not about just the prodigal son. God's running to every one of his children every time they say, Abba, Father, help me. I need you. He wants to be the one that you talk to about everything, everything going on in your life, the good, the bad. If you got that promotion, you got that raise, you got that new car, you're about to buy that new house. God wants to hear about it. Tea ladies that are going to the nail salon to get your nails done and, you know, you got a question about what color you should pick. God wants to hear about it. Ask them. He'll put that color right in your heart. Be the best color you ever put on your nails. Those guys that are going on a run or to the gym or working on a car, God wants to be right there with you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to fellowship with you. There's no place that you're going that God doesn't want to be a part of in your life. And the greatest thing we can ever do is fellowship with the Father in heaven to seek his counsel. 
In Proverbs, it talks about the wise man seeketh good counsel. What better counsel is there than the Father in heaven? When you need advice on anything in life, that should be the person that you turn to because you're not going to get better advice from anyone. There's no one in this world that's going to give you better advice than him, be a better friend than him, love you better than him, cherish you better than him. You'll take everything that we have in life and, and we'll give it and invest it into people that care nothing about it. Only to find yourself heartbroken, only to find yourself destroyed inwardly in all kinds of mixed feelings and emotions. We'll, we'll give things to people that they don't even cherish them. We'll cast our pearls before the swine. When there's a God that, man, if you'll give it to him. You've never seen nobody hold on to something so much, cherish it so much, value it so much, be so dear to him as the things that you share and you give with God. He'll show you that it has worth to him. He'll show you that it has value to him. He'll show you that it means everything to him. If you'll just give it to him, talk to him, give him a chance to be that I am in your life, whatever that is that you need him to be. Whatever it is that you're needing him to be, he's saying, I am. Here's the most powerful part about that I am. It's not a something he will be. It's not a future tense. It's a present. He's saying, I am, as in right now, right this moment, right this second. I am that which you need me to be. I am that to you right now. And the truth is, he's always been what you needed and he will always be what you need. But once again, it's the question, will you let him? Will you let him be that which he wants to be in your life? Is he not worthy to be that? Is he not worthy of your time? Is he not worthy of your heart? Is he not worthy of your love, of your fellowship, of the very breath that you're breathing? That he gave you. Is he not worthy of it? Has he not shown through what he's already done that he loves you more than anyone else? I pray that you got something from this teaching today and that God ministered something to your heart and revealed himself in a greater degree to you of how he's trying to be I am in your life. I know that in life things can be hard and struggles can come, but I know that he is there and he's always there and he wants to be part of everything that's going on with you. I pray that you will give him the opportunity to show you who he is as the great I am. I would like to close out with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for all the people that listen to this episode and I pray that their ears have been blessed, that their heart have been blessed, that their lives have been blessed by your word, Father. Father, may they take the seed that has been planted, Lord God, and may you water it and may you give the increase. For you are the Lord of the harvest, and I thank you for being the Lord of the harvest. Father, let it bear fruit in their lives, Lord God, unto the glory of your name. Let it bring them closer to you in all things. May you be glorified. May your relationship with each one of your children be increased. May they know the greatness of the love that you have for them, and may they never forget it and hold fast to it. And may they receive you in every part of their lives as I am. I thank you, Father, for everything that you're doing. May they continue to be fruitful unto the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen.